0: Hi, welcome to this Property Life podcast. I'm James D'Souza. I'm a property investor and trainer. Each week on the podcast, we'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures in property. This week, I'm talking to Goldie Sayers. Goldie is a former Team GB athlete, having appeared at three Olympic Games as a javelin thrower, winning a bronze medal in Beijing, among her other achievements. She is now a property investor, and alongside building her own portfolio, she is training other athletes about the power of property. I'm sure you'll really enjoy this episode. Let's hear from Goldie now. Hello, everybody. I am with uh, the amazing Goldie Sayers uh, today, and she's going to be our guest on this Property Life podcast. So welcome, Goldie.
1: Hello, James
0: it's amazing to have you here uh with us you are the first uh, olympian that we're having on the podcast so uh the f- the first person that we've got on the podcast that was involved in olympic games um goldie in case people don't know who you are and um, um, a bit about your background can you just tell us a little bit about what uh, about about who you are
1: um yeah i'm sure a lot of people don't <laughs> Yeah, so I was, or well, I am a former Olympic athlete, so I did three Olympics and I am British record holder for the Javelin and won a bronze medal from Beijing 2008, although I was only awarded that medal in 2019 because of all the Russian doping um, retrospective testing programme that went on. So, um, so yeah, and, I, and won sort of multiple national championships and retired happily in 2016
0: and you are now a property investor yes, yes. and how how did that come about how, what was the transition from uh olympic athlete to property investor
1: i think i'd had a i tr- moved several times for training and luckily i'd read um as a lot of people have done the book rich dad poor dad so i knew not to sort of pay down mortgages and knew to sort of leverage assets so I moved from Loughborough University, went where I studied, um, I bought a house there when my dad passed away in 2005 and rented rooms to other athletes, he'd left me a little bit of money enough to buy a deposit on a house, um, I rented rooms to athletes and then had to move to Cambridge and then to London and each time I kind of remortgaged those houses and luckily I was moving further and further south which was just a, kind of by chance really um, and managed to hold on to those houses. So when I retired from sport, I had a kind of passive income, I guess, from um, property, not enough to kind of set the world alight, but it was enough to not have to then go and start a job that I didn't particularly enjoy. And when I first retired, I kind of tried lots of different things just to try and see what I didn't like as much as what I did. Um, And then thought when I realised that actually I was able to live on this property income why don't I learn how to do it more aggressively and and do it professionally and that's when I got educated in kind of early 2017 and I've been kind of investing um, fairly full-time ever since alongside doing other work as well but it's my sort of primary income.
0: What do you do outside of property then is it is it still tied to a sporting background is it?
1: Um, yeah i do coach in um athletics i mean that i would say is my sort of charity work <laughs> but that was one of the reasons that i wanted to uh, to invest in property to give me the freedom of time to be able to say yes to people who were kind of asking for help and keeping involved in sport i do some executive coaching um for well an energy company and for individuals and um, i'm actually in the process of writing a, a well, not my book but co-writing a book um i i I tend to say yes to everything or things that interest me and then figure out how i'm going to do them later but uh yeah that that's why i do some speaking motivational speaking for companies and um it's just i quite like a portfolio career. having done one thing in such a focused way for so long it's nice to now do different things
0: diversification
1: yeah but really property gives me that opportunity so if it wasn't property i don't think i could do so many different things.
0: So you how how long were you kind of living 100% in the world of athletics for then?
1: So I went to university, I, I did my first Olympic Games at 21, 22 um, and with the advent of lottery funding that came in at a time where I was starting to be, I guess I was kind of in the world's top 20 and that sort of funded me it wasn't a lot of money but it was enough to live on and when you're not kind of partying and drinking <laughs> and going out as an athlete it, you don't actually spend that much money so um I I effectively was a professional athlete from the minute I left university to 2016 so, so quite a long time yeah long and I never time. dreamed that I would make a living out of it um really, I guess I made a living out a bit through diversifying. So you do get prize money in kind of top tier of athletics, the diamond league, but actually a lot, a lot of income came from sponsorship and speaking and kind of diversifying a little bit within the sport and from, you know, rental income, I guess, from a yeah. couple of athletics as well.
0: And so obviously being in that world for so long, was there any other, you said you kind of were looking at other bits and bobs when you came out of of athletics what were some of those things you were maybe looking at aside from property what was was there a concrete plan in your mind as to what to do because it's it, it is obviously it's a great career to have but it's a relatively short career
1: mm. yeah it's um I mean I talk I speak to a lot of athletes now you know you're always going to retire every athlete will have to retire and you're not retiring you know at 60 65 you're mm. retiring at 30 35 if you're really lucky um and probably late 20s in many sports. So. Um, I just tried lots of things. So I I was quite keen to do physio just probably because I had so many injuries and operations and I was quite good at rehabbing my way back to full fitness, but wasn't that keen on studying for another, you know, four or five years, whatever it takes. Um, so I did sort of a massage course as an introduction to that. I did some personal training, I think mainly to keep my hand in the kind of movement space. And I treat people as well as kind of um, do personal training. I was interested in psychometric testing. So I did some kind of workshops and speaking for a a kind of occupational psychology company. Um, But that was the moment I realised that I cannot sit at a desk. I just physically can't do it. Having, you know, movement has been my whole life. So sitting down, I just physically can't do it. I was permanently on the floor stretching and they all thought I was really weird. But that was when I knew that I couldn't. I couldn't do an office job I'd have to be kind of out and about and then um and then and then the property kind of education thing came up and as soon as I did that I was like "Yep, yeah, yeah, that that's me I want to I just want to do that I knew that that's what I wanted to do and I think for a lot of athletes or sports people when they retire a big part of their identity is their sport so um it was nice to find something that I was passionate about that gave me a purpose and an identity I guess that could replace um, athletics and sport um, so so yeah I did yeah and then I, I did a lot of things in sport as well and do random things like coach throw-ins in football and um, I was a sort of junior team manager for the European Youth Olympic team and yeah as I said I just say yes to stuff yeah <laughs> and see what happens
0: so you went through obviously had some properties as a that you kind of bought as as an athlete do you still have you still kept those ones
1: yeah so I've, I've never I've never actually sold a property I'm going through a sale at the moment but yeah I still own the Loughborough by Telet, which was the first one I ever bought and that's now rented to students um so yeah every single property I still have and and look after as best I can,
0: <laughs> do you look back at those ones and think oh if, if I'd known something differently i would, would have you set them up differently? Is there anything you would have done differently obviously kind of retrospectively after you'd kind of got the education
1: um I mean I wish I'd got the education earlier i mean in hindsight, I think i would have I'd, I'd have loved to have buy, bought like a property a year while I was mm. you know training so I don't I think that's very achievable without having to get too involved um Yeah. And I think, you know, I didn't know about kind of limited companies and obviously I bought the first few in my personal name. And but then obviously the tax implications weren't the same back then. So, no, I I, to be honest, I I really I was very lucky in that um, I managed to buy certainly the second and third buy to let in capital growth areas. So that was how I could start the business quite quickly with a fair bit of capital behind me because I could remortgage a property in Cambridge, um, especially, that had gone up hugely in that time. Um, so I, I wouldn't change anything. I would have just, I'd have, you know, I guess in any career, you wish you knew at the start of it what you do at the end. And But it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm just so grateful that I bought property young, I guess.
0: And were those, are those, because you said of the one in Loughborough, you kind of rented out the rooms to, to other athletes. Were they HMO properties? Were they single-let properties?
1: Um, the for the one was was initially a single letter and then I changed it into a, what well, I guess a multi-level, small kind of HMO. It's um, when I learned actually, you know, to try and maximise the income from properties. But actually, one thing I have always done is rented rooms. I, I don't think I've ever, ever paid my own personal mortgage. And I think that's something that if you're doing property education at a young age, it is one way to to you know be able to afford to live in a nice house effectively is to rent rooms to other people I mean I never had a huge income as an athlete certainly starting out but at that time you could get 90 percent mortgages which you will be able to again I'm sure um and so you know I was living on I think about 500 quid a month but um other athletes were paying me or one other athlete was paying me um, enough to pay mortgage and all my living expenses, and I carried that on. Through. Kind of like
0: live for free that way.
1: But yeah, I've sort of <laughs> I've always managed to to live for free. I mean, you sort of have to be prepared to share your house with somebody. But now where I live, I've got kind of an annex that I rent out in London, so I've never even in London I'm not paying my own mortgage, which um, which is a good kind of. I guess it's a good tip really that you don't have to pay your own mortgage.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then so when you got the education the education you started investing and that was that was uh, you know attacking it with a business mind I guess what what changed for you what was the what was the spark what what was being done differently versus when you previously bought, bought property
1: I think for me I guess a light bulb well probably lots of light bulb moments for me when I got educated I guess was obviously using other people's money for one so le- leveraging really um Uh, not just from a mortgage but from you know other people's money and also I think investing primarily for cash flow which is what I needed to do at the start because obviously I didn't have a job when I retired and um, you know I was I've always been self-employed so I've been absolutely fine with my income going up and down and really it's you paid based on I've always been paid based on performance and I love that really um, in a way so that didn't sort of phase me, but yeah, I think, I guess, you know, I've invested up North for cash flow, and, and I think that was probably the biggest thing. Um,
0: so living in London, but investing up North.
1: Yeah. I've always invested miles away from where I actually live. Um, so, so yeah, lots of different, I mean, yeah, I couldn't think about, but they're the main two, I guess, leverage and other people's money and, and investing for, Cash flow kind of being a thing, not just the old age. You know, buy a property and then hope that it goes up in value, which it has done for me. And inflation has kind of been on my side. And you know, I look at the, my Cambridge buy-to-let is, you know, that that cash flows as a, an HMO effectively, just because it's gone up in value so much. And and
0: you haven't yeah. refinanced. I'm guessing you haven't kind of stripped the equity out of it.
1: No, not really. I, I did. I'd pay down the mortgage when I lived in it a little bit. And because of the capital growth, Cambridge is kind of—I get—I think it's usually in the top three of, um, you know, growth in the country of places to live or cities. And um, I did pull some equity out to start my property business with, but it's still not—I think it's still at below sort of fifty yeah. percent. So not, not really. I, I won't ever—I don't think—touch that again. But. No. I kind of wanted to, because I knew I could make that money work harder elsewhere.
0: So you took it, stuck it up north into what, what strategies were you pursuing when you got started? Uh,
1: This classic buy-to-let and I, you know, I still do, to be honest. I I just, I think because I do it on my own, um, I am, I do take risks definitely in life, but for some reason I'm very happy with really boring, solid buy-to-let properties, um, hoping to not leave too much in and, and yeah, they cash flow. the majority of mine up north cash flow is sort of 300 quid a month, which I'm very happy with. I've had HMOs that end up cash flowing less because they're not managed very well. So, um, so yeah, I mean, predominantly my portfolio is buy to let, but I do love kind of social housing as well. And that's where most of my kind of multi-let strokes sort of HMOs are sort of social housing. I think I've had some, slightly more negative experiences with private HMOs just from a management point of view but that's kind of my fault really just I finding guess, the right
0: team can be challenging because
1: yeah it's the only I think you know buy to let they don't look after themselves but you know if you've got a half decent agent or property manager they're okay but yeah the HMOs are definitely ones that you need good um, managers
0: and the area that you're investing in or, or areas that you're investing in, did you have prior knowledge of them or did you, were you kind of completely going there cold, just going the numbers work and I'm just going to follow my nose?
1: Yeah, a bit of the latter. I think I just looked at the numbers and then um, I, I think it does help if you enjoy spending time in the area that you invest in. I, I don't invest in, you know, one place. I'm a bit all o- actually all over the country, but for different strategies. Um, but yeah I think yeah I'm definitely up north for the buy to let and um I I will probably navigate or try and migrate further south as I get fed up with driving up and down but again if you've got a good team you don't need to go up that much
0: I was going to say how do you manage having having property scattered across the the north of England how do you manage them obviously having a team do you do you use different letting agents for different areas different builders for different areas
1: Yeah, so I've got different builders um, in each location, property managers in each location. And I've kept those property managers. They're quite small companies. They're not, you know, estate agents primarily because I like people to know, you know, the tenants personally. And actually lockdown's been interesting. I've actually gone around and met all the tenants just because I actually think it's quite good not to be completely faceless as a, a landlord um but they do know to to, you know message the property manager when there's a problem and not me um so so yeah I just uh, yeah I try and make it hands-off but I actually quite enjoy I enjoy the people side of it and actually I like to know who's in the property because that's where the joy comes from I think and you know they're all you know lovely like I don't really have any kind of problem tenants (laughs) Good.
0: <laughs> I guess that that comes from vetting them in the right way and making, you know, putting the right, the reason, you know, we don't have problem tenants is because we put the right people in the properties in the first place as well. So yeah. I think, it, you know, that that vetting procedure, are you involved in your, in the vetting procedure with the letting agent or do you just leave it all to them?
1: Uh, I am. I think, you know, I'll get, I'll get the um, property managers to kind of give me a short list. Um, there's a couple of properties I'm very, very hands off with because they're such good letting agents. I just, they kind of go above and beyond. And, um you know, I know that they've got everything under control, actually the Loughborough house being one, a friend actually, who's got a lettings company in Loughborough, who I was a sort of an athlete with. Uh, that's the one property I don't have set foot in for years, actually, which is probably naughty, but it's all completely under control, that one. Um, and the others, yeah, the ones up north, they, I might get a shortlist. But I think that's where you, you sort of just have to manage or bet the, letting agent actually and know that they're a good judge of character because it's um you know you can get all the references in the world but you know even if someone's got an amazing job it doesn't mean they are definitely going to pay their rent no
0: it doesn't mean they're going to keep that amazing job either especially with what's going on at the moment so yeah uh you said you invest on your own obviously you've got the team there but you're the what you're kind of the only executive you know calling the shots uh how do you find that is that is that something that you you relish or, or is it do you find it can sometimes be a challenge?
1: Um it's it can be a little bit I I enjoy the challenge. I love a challenge, but it can be occasionally if there are problems, it would be nice to sort of have a business partner to bounce ideas off. But that's where kind of mentors come in and making sure you you've got people that you can call on who are, you know, further along than you, who know more than you and have made um the same mistakes or kind of less mistakes hopefully um that you can kind of call up and and ask their opinion on I guess you know running any business it can get you know lonely at times but that's where you have to sort of reach out and have a network and um you know I think yeah also asking for help as well which is you know I'm not that's something I could definitely get better at for sure but it's it's quite a small world property in a way. And um, there, is, there is always someone who, who has a good answer for, for problems and actually networking has is, is always been how I've kind of solved problems.
0: Have you found, as you've started to, to to build the business, some of the roles that are involved and you've gone, I really don't like this. I want someone else to do it for me. And I wish I had a business partner that could do that, that side of the business. Have you outsourced anything to, to somebody completely separate because you didn't like that part of the business?
1: Um, I haven't. And it's something I'm getting to the point now where, because I do do everything myself, it can get quite admin heavy, especially. And the one area, I guess, from running around and throwing spears around for 20 years, my computer literacy is, and my systemization using technology is, is really awful. Um, but you know I, I can learn how to do things but that's something that I would like to kind of outsource or I need someone to sit down with me and show me how to use yeah. my map properly really <laughs> but you know it's it, it, I think I, I probably am a bit of a control freak as well so it, it's learning to let go to sort of leverage other people's time and not not your own but it, to be honest it's I quite enjoy some of it and I like to know you know I like to know like every month you know what the rents are doing and and things like so I do have a real sort of grasp over what's happening in the business, which is the the positive of that, but I could definitely outsource a bit more, but obviously, I outsource all the builds, all the you know management um I could potentially use sourcing agents more than I do, but uh, to this point I quite enjoy looking around smelly houses. <laughs> I was
0: going to say is, is that that's part of the chase kind of the, the enjoy the thrill of looking for the deals hunting the deals negotiating them speaking to the people that are selling and, and sort of solving their problem is that something that you, you you really enjoy doing?
1: Yeah that that's the bit I enjoy I enjoy um getting a deal over the line um and building relationships with people I think and um you know that's effectively where all my deals have come from i guess it's just having good relationships with agents and i'm starting to do a lot more sort of direct to to vendor um, marketing which actually has been a positive from lockdown because i hadn't really done much before because i'd built good relationships with agents and they were bringing me things kind of off market effectively Um, but i've had a couple of successes actually in lockdown just from you know writing letters to to kind of potentially distressed vendors and I've had a few results doing that.
0: Nice. So again, you're kind of seeing that the, the hit, hit rate increasing by going direct to vendor.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have to put a bit of time and I haven't done it particularly strategically, um, but I've listened to a lot of a lot of podcasts in, um, in lockdown and actually just, do you always pick up one thing, you know, for every hour you spend listening to someone Talking, there's always one little tidbit that you can use, and um, I think I heard something in lockdown about um, agents falling out with, you know, Right Move. And actually, I never look on, you know, on the market, and I think something had come up on that portal that wasn't on the rest of them, um, which obviously means less people are going to be calling about that property. phone the agent; they said basically the vendors had fallen out and they weren't sure whether they were selling it or not. So I just wrote to the vendors directly. And I've, you know, had an offer accepted a week or so ago from them. So we're just going through the buying process now. Um, so, yeah.
0: You're buying at quite a rate of knots. You're, you're, you're filling your boots while you can. Um, is, that, is that just because you, you're seeing the deals and the opportunities that are, are out there? Or are you, have you kind of got a, got a plan to kind of buy for a number of years and then, and then sort of slow down? What's your, what's your kind of longer term strategy?
1: Um, yeah, I had, I guess I've got income, kind of an income figure in mind. Um, you know, I guess the one problem with VitalX is you, you get there a little bit slower, so you have to do more volume, but the system I have in the areas i invest in, I'm quite happy for that to happen because the teams are in place. So I guess it's just with, you know, COVID, it, it slowed down, absolutely slowed down my kind of role for the year. Um, although I can see right now where are we sort of um, November time things are starting to come back like agents starting to come to me again and mm. things are falling through again so I, I feel like the last sort of month of the year might be quite bring some uh, opportunity accelerated yeah. but it would be, would have been nice to do things at a sort of steadier uh, steadier rate but yeah and I'm just quite I guess from a sporting background I'm just quite motivated by setting goals and achieving them and
0: I was going to ask you, what have you brought from that, the sporting world and, and the the world of athletics into investing with you? There must, you know, obviously you're not, you're not throwing spears at your vendors, um, but <laughs> what's, what are some of the, the, the characteristics and the traits that you've gone? Actually that's serving me really well in property as, as it served me in the, in the, in the sporting world.
1: I think um, actually one of the biggest things is sort of delayed gratification. It's such a big part of certainly athletics, because it's not like, uh, football where you're playing week in week out and if you have a bad game you can um, you know do, do better in a week's time in athletics you're effectively training for nine months of the year for one day where you have to be at your best which is very similar to property in that you know you do all the work and kind of month one and you can't refinance a deal for six months and you get the money back out effectively nine months later or eight months later whatever it might be so it, it does follow a similar kind of model and it's just consistent kind of hard work of doing the basics well and that's all sport is it's no you know people see the glamorous side of it in the Olympic Games but effectively you're applying your trade in the middle of a kind of muddy field and it's not very glamorous so it's very <laughs> very, very similar I think to properties it's almost this I would say it's almost the same thing in a way in that you've got a team and in, in an individual sport you're you might be an individual but you're working with you know, in sport, sort of massage therapist, physio, coach, um biomechanist, nutritionist, all these different people, but you're at the center of it. And it's all I've done, I guess, is transpose that into, you know, working with a solicitor, broker, you know, builder, architect, whatever it might be. So it's sort of just replacing one team for another team.
0: What's been your best deal today? What if you could just tell us a little bit about what you feel, whether it's you know your financially your best deal or or, or... You know your most successful deal in the fact that there were some challenges with it and you managed to get it across the line
1: yeah there's definitely one that i'm i mean I could wish I could find one of easy <laughs> but it's also i think it's special also because it was such a kind of a special or kind of special for the wrong reasons day, but basically i was um went on the train from London to ely where where my mum lives. And um, I was actually on the way to a funeral and it would have been easy for me to get a taxi from the station, but obviously I would quite like walking. So I walked up the hill and happened to pass a house on my left on the way to this funeral that had an auction board outside of it, which is really unusual for that area because it's a commuter kind of, it's actually a city, but it's a very small city. It's a small town that's kind of just over an hour to London. So it's sort of commuter territory. Property prices are very high. Um so I thought well there must be an issue with it. So I took a photo of it to obviously not look into it the day of the funeral, but um the next day or two days later I just phoned the agent and or looked into the particulars of the property and it said it had minor subsidence. And I always think when a structural engineer says, or not even a structural engineer, a surveyor says minor subsidence, it may or may not mean it's subsiding. So I sort of got a local guy I know to have a look at the property. And he was, you know, he's someone who does underpinning and he said it, it isn't, and there is no way in hell that this property is subsiding. So basically it went to auction. I think I, I had a price in my mind that I wanted to pay and it went, I think the reserve was just over that, um, but it didn't sell. Um, I looked around the property obviously before the auction and, and effectively it just hadn't been replastered in its whole life. And there was a big crack, but even I could tell that that was probably just plaster, not a major problem. Anyway, long story short, I bought this property, I think for one nine five um I bought it with the deposit with angel Finance and a bridging loan, so none of my own money down um, It then valued just with a bridging valuer. he valued it at two sixty with me without me touching it. I spent thirty grand on it roughly and it refinanced at three fifty Wow, so if I'd sold it, I could have made 100 grand and my 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 kind of view was always to sell it but then actually when it was done up I got I had a buyer within the first week um but she was someone who wanted to move into a completely done up house and not lift a finger and I think there was one tiny little thing that needed doing and then a, a fellow kind of investor who's based there came around it with me just I caught up with her for a coffee and she just said why are you selling this because it's a capital growth area." Um, etc etc and then I suddenly thought you know why am I selling it and I've held on to it <laughs> so it would have gone up in value and so that I mean that deal is you know you don't sort of find those every day but that was actually in my first sort of six months so um you know I've just I still have that property now
0: did you looking at that one what was, what was my question going to be I I um oh did you have any when you obviously refinanced it bought it on a bridging loan with with other people's money when you then refinanced it and the surveyor came around to, to revalue it did you have any problems with the with that refinance did they go you know potentially got any structural problems did you have any underpinning done to it
1: sorry James, that was a very bad explanation of mine <laughs> obviously paid a structural surveyor 400 quid to come round it um and he said you know categorically really experienced guy i googled the guy who'd done the um, done the initial survey, and he was about you know 22, which Perfect. was brilliant because I then realised yes, he'll have made a mistake. That was where. So I there
0: were no structural problems with it at all.
1: No, there were no yeah. structural problems. So I'd done all my due diligence, and I thought worst case, I'm going to have to spend you know x amount of money underpinning the property, and worst worst case, it would be underpinning both sides of that property. Mm. But the numbers were still so good that even doing that, I would have made money. Um, so, so yeah, I, I basically paid 400 quid to kind of make 100 grand effectively. Quite, quite
0: a good return on investment.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, again, yeah, if anyone's got any of those deals, <laughs> feel free. Um, yeah, so no, it was a great deal. But again, it was, you know, there were problems with it. So that was why people were put off. But I guess the lesson in it was, you know, don't take things at face value. And if your gut's telling you that, I don't think that person's right question it and you know even if I paid 400 quid that I'd wasted you know it would it wouldn't have been a problem so um so yeah so that was a good one nice
0: um have you set up any other business property related businesses alongside the portfolio or you, at the moment is it just all is investing and then obviously what everything else that you do on the side as well
1: yeah i ha- i haven't as such i mean i have coached a few people um in the last few years um, but I wouldn't I haven't really set up any other businesses I think when you're kind of doing everything yourself it's and doing a lot of other things outside of property as well it's sort of you've only got so much time but it's definitely something I would um, like to get more involved in definitely
0: how many hours roughly on on an average week do you put into property obviously being being busy rough. I know it's probably quite hard to gauge but because one of the one of the challenges I guess people normally face when they're starting is I've got I've got so much on I haven't got the time to do this you juggling all, all the balls that you're juggling how much time do you, do you dedicate to to getting to to investing?
1: Um, at the moment I, I mean I just enjoy it so I spend a lot of time on it but I could I guess spend maybe you know if I wasn't continuing to buy I could easily spend two hours a week on it if I really wanted to but I probably spend I've never actually counted it I probably should I probably do a you know three quarters of a full-time job on it just because I enjoy it and also in lockdown there's been you know not a lot else to do well there has been a lot to do I've done a lot of other things and I've done a sort of started a bit of a master's program etc etc i just I don't like being bored so it suits my personality I think mm. um so yeah I mean I spend a lot of time but that's out of choice effectively
0: have you had many other athletes come or, or, or retired athletes come to you and go I've, I've seen what you're doing I'm interested in uh, in getting into property myself
1: Uh, Yeah, no, they do. I I mean, I'm not great with social media. I find it really difficult and quite um, strange, I think, because I guess in sport, especially in individual sport and in a closed skill like javelin, it's like you've either done something or you haven't. And you don't kind of have to sell yourself. You can't stand at the back of the javelin run up and go, you know, I'm the best javelin thrower in the world without sort of showing it and doing the performance. So I, I do find it quite I don't know, I find I need to get over my kind of dislike of social media, but I do post the occasional thing when I remember to do it and when I when it doesn't take me about two hours to construct a Instagram post or a Twitter post. Um so yeah, and when I do that, I always get texts from athletes saying oh can you teach me how to do it and well (laughs) I can but how long have you got um so yeah I do have a lot of requests and I've been asked to do a little talk actually for um people on the sort of world class program of Olympic sports which I've agreed to do just as an introduction I wouldn't claim to be able to teach kind of everything all in one go but just to kind of get them to look at investing differently because when people are in sport, they tend to be so consumed with it, and you're kind of eat, sleeping, and eating, sleeping, and and training, and thinking about kind of high performance twenty four seven. So, um, and I guess
0: that your your mentality to investing is probably very different now, having undergone the education versus what it was when you started as well.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's where it would have been lovely to know all this stuff. You know, when I was twenty. You know, I guess I was lucky that I read Rich Time Poor Dad at 21. I think so, I had that in the back of my mind when you know your parents are paying down mortgages and doing you know what their generation was always taught to do, but just to understand it differently. And it's funny now, my mum will you know says, that I wish I'd you know bought more properties and and." done things a bit differently but she loved her job as well so I think you know she wouldn't change anything I'm sure.
0: Is that would you say Richard Dad's the book that's left the the biggest imprint on you?
1: Uh, I think well financially certainly um, yeah there's other ones I, I, I've found kind of real benefit from the Miracle Morning book um, as a sort of morning routine which I find really helpful um you know there's some there's such great books out there and, and that is something I've done a lot more since retiring from sport again that's one thing I wish I'd done um as an athlete I always used to find reading a real struggle just I used to find it quite hard work I think because I'm not a speed reader and I'll read every word and I want to understand it all and I guess um you know just reading a lot more kind of books around investing around you know personal development I did that as an athlete a little bit but I wish I'd done that a bit more aggressively. so when I did retire I kind of had all that knowledge but again you kind of always wish you did things differently.
0: <laughs> and what's next for you what what are you going to be up to in in the property world is it just more of the same are you are you looking to to you know employ different strategies any any kind of deals on the horizon that you're excited by?
1: Um, I would like to, I would like to learn more about sort of commercial to residential conversions. I've just made the mistake in the past of trying to do bigger deals. And I think you, you end up putting a lot more energy into bigger deals and smaller ones. And if, um, I think the year before last, I put a lot of focus into bigger deals and those few didn't come off and actually hadn't been doing this sort of basics still. So I got to the end of the year and I thought, God, I could have done so much more if I have just stuck to the basics. So if I do do that, I think I'll still be buying buy-to-let.
0: So you still want to go and kind of crack out the cookie, the buy-to-let cookie cutters and the the kind of
1: I think the, the, so. the lower
0: value properties.
1: Yeah, and I think I think for me it's going to just be hopefully um just investing a little bit closer to home. Um But I think I still. I, I, I i'm not too sure but i think i need to i need to revisit my plan anyway from this year for next year because um yeah it hasn't happened as as no I don't,
0: I don't think it's happened for anyone as they expected no one no one kind of foresaw this coming but you know we've as you say filming this towards the end of november now we've got a nice chunk of time to to reevaluate, reassess towards the end of the year and go right what 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 can i be doing next year that that maybe obviously didn't get done this year but that I can be I can be working on because normally I, d- I don't know about you but normally my my kind of goal time is only about a week between Christmas and New Year where I kind of sit down and look at things so a bit more of an extended period might might do me well I don't know about you but
1: yeah that's when I do mine generally between Christmas and New Year yeah um yeah get wildly motivated and then overdo it in the first week <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no exactly and, and at the end of the day it's you know they are only goals and I think you know if it's anything like sport it's just consistent consistency at the end of the day it's I think one of the best quotes I've ever been told it's you know it's a long race and in the end it's only ever with yourself and that is a good thing to remember because I do find the property world it is one of those worlds that it's easy to compare yourself with other people but you never know you know where they've come from what they've had to go through to get there what their goals are what their values are more importantly and So at the end of the day, as long as everybody's happy and they're enjoying it, that's the main thing. Um, Then, you know, everybody wins. And there's, you know, there's a lot of property out there. So, um, you know, I think it's, I'm, I'm most passionate actually about people having had to, you know, help tenants through COVID, trying to get people to understand how to kind of hold on to money and to build personal wealth, I think you know just educating people around money um would be beneficial for society sure <laughs> definitely
0: <laughs> that's well that there, there we go that's that's the business venture that's that's the new new venture for you yeah possibly <laughs> <laughs> um I, I was going to ask you what was one one you know final question what was one bit of advice you'd like to give out to somebody just starting out would, would you say it would be that you know focus on yourself don't compare yourself to other people
1: um I think yeah I mean get educated obviously but but just start I think um I think it's easy to try and get perfect or get the perfect deal I mean I've left I've I've spent quite a bit of time sort of deep diving into the whole portfolio and I've left a bit too much money in a couple of properties for sure but actually in a way who cares (laughs) because it'll all kind of come out in the end anyway and it's easy to try and perfect everything or you know don't go for something if you know you're leaving a few grand in or whatever but actually just starting it's the best kind of education and just getting immersed in it and making mistakes actually but that's where mentoring I think mentoring is probably the biggest thing to accelerate quickly for sure is you know getting mentored so you're not making your own mistakes and you're also not going to make the mistakes of your mentor who's more experienced as well
0: perfect well thank you very much uh thank you for joining me uh today as well and i'm sure the listeners will be thrilled to hear hear a bit about your story and a bit about your journey goldie so thank you very much for joining me
1: thanks james thank you